Everyone should be making their way back in. Come on, Colin, you know better than this. You're supposed to be a leader here. All right, so everyone back in. Here's some rustling around. Um, this month, I am allotted three whole weeks. So we've been talking about leadership, right? I'm allotted three whole weeks to talk about the training and equipping of leadership, why it's important, what it means to be a biblical leader, and what you should know as a leader, what you should expect a leader to know, uh, how you can learn from these people who we view in our lives as leaders. Um, because it's April, somewhere in the middle of all that, that three weeks, we're going to have our Resurrection Sunday service, which will be led by Pastor Monty in the back. So look forward to that, and you guys are obviously all invited to be here for that, as it was mentioned. Um, and lucky for what we got going on today, it's my turn. I'm a nice, short, concise speaker, you know, to the point. It's both why we love me and why I hate me, because, because I uh, am that way. Um, so anyways, we're going to be ticking right along, because we got a busy day. So why is it important? Why is the training and equipping, equipping uh, of leadership important? And the answer to this question is pretty simple, and I would maybe answer it with uh, another question. How can you expect to be an effective anything if you don't put in the time to learn what it means to be an effective something? Uh, and we give a whole lot of credit to that sentiment in our secular lives. You know, if you want to be good at a particular sport, of course, you've got to practice. If you want to be, where's Isabella? If you want to be a good baker, Isabella, you got to bake a lot, right? You got to perfect the recipes. If you want to be good at Smash Bros, Jeremiah Aiden, you got to practice a lot so you can beat Adam at Smash Bros. Um, you got to keep playing. You got to do the thing a lot in order to be better at it. Um, before we go on, I want to clear something up, or make something clear, rather, that um, it's not my intention to discredit or discount in any way the message of Colin and James from previous months in regard to leadership calling and, um, and, and such. Uh, remember, um, we all have a call to leadership, um, whether, you know, proper or just as lay people. Colin talked about primary uh, and secondary callings. And God can and will call us into positions of leadership regardless of if we feel ready or not. And we have to be um, open to that. We have to be open to that calling. Um, but once we recognize that call, we have a part to play in how well we are going to um, respond to it by the amount of work we are going to put into it. And that is an aspect of leadership. So we're not discounting, we're not we're not dismissing the previous message about, uh, about leadership and calling and, and such, but there is a, a role that we play once we do accept that. Um, and so I want to make that clear just right up, right up front. Um, what kind of soldier are we going to be once we accept that call? What kind of servant are we going to be once we accept that call of leadership? What kind of quality of sacrifice are we going to bring forward? Um, and this idea of training and becoming equipped is... Uh, as leaders should be first understood as something that is urgent. The training and equipping of leaders is an urgent matter. Bad leaders 
have already beaten us um, to the punch in a lot of ways. There is no shortage of bad ideologies in the world today floating around and false teachings that, uh, false teachers that have no problem training their followers in those bad ideologies. Um, Second Timothy chapter three says this, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such, such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. These teachers oppose the truth, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. They have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith, but they won't get away from this. Oh, they won't get away with this for long. Someday, everyone will recognize what fools they are just as Janus and Jambres. People will be trained for ministry no matter what um, we do, no matter if we act, no matter if we recognize the urgent um, call to being trained and equipped or not. But the question is, is that a righteous ministry? Are they being trained in the righteous ministry? Um, and we ought to, as, as believers and as disciples, offer, offer that righteous ministry. Um, be able to... Um, analyze and um, detect when something is, is a foul. Uh, and because of the overabundance of weak or outright bad leadership, there is an abundance of people who have no grasp of the gospel, no meaningful conviction, both outside and even inside the church. And that is why, what, a couple years back, a couple years back, um, we here at Aletheia um, changed sort of what it is that we're doing in being outward and upward reaching because it's not just outside, it's inside the church as well. Um, the church at large has not been instilling a meaningful understanding of scripture and of doctrine, and it's not been properly tethering the, the congregations, the people, to the local church. The statistics, I can read the statistics, I'm not, if you were in my cell group like a few months back, I think it was Josh and Michelle were reading off some statistics about people that fall away, particularly people that are in the college age. Once they go to college, you know, all these new ideas and all these new distractions come into them and then they fall away because they weren't tethered and they weren't grounded in their faith, in scripture, in doctrine, in the local church. Um, the statistics for leadership in particular um, falling out of the ministry because of any number of things, burnout, or you know, they were telling themselves a lie the whole time. They thought they were pursuing something that had a fake idea of what it meant to be in the leadership ministry within the church. Um, and that's it's sort of damning. It's heartbreaking, really, when you think about it, when you read these statistics. The training is seriously lacking. There's no focused effort on uh, no focused effort and intent on bringing up the next generation of young men and women as strong leaders um, or even the want to, to be brought up by the, by the younger people. Um, Postmodernism um, being intrinsically anti-intellectual um, plays its part in this. Remember, postmodernism 
is the idea that your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. So there is really no truth. Everything is subjective. Um, so postmodernism being uh, anti-intellectual in nature, um, one, one epistemologist says this, the displacement of the idea, so postmodernism post is anti-intellectual because the displacement of the idea that facts and evidence matter. The idea that everything boils down to subjective interest and perspective is the most prominent and pernicious harmful uh, manifestation of anti-intellectualism of our time. So if you're in the danger room last night, you will probably recognize something in there about evidential epistemology. Good on you in recognizing that. Maybe Josh is shaking his head, doesn't like evidential epistemology. Um, but regardless, uh, combined with that growing anti-intellectual movement that we're seeing more and more today, um, the decline in training through discipleship is becoming incredibly dangerous to the mission of bringing up the next generation, training and equipping the next generation of leaders within the church. And the issue is not credentials. Remember James, I'm pretty sure, hit that point pretty heavy last, last month. Um, the issue is not credentials. Um, whether The issue is whether or not people entering the ministry believe that handling God's word, that handling truth well, one truth, the only truth, there is only one truth, is important. If sharing Christ is worthwhile, if the Christian worldview is being articulated, articulated and defended well, there is only one truth. Are we teaching that to our coming leaders? Uh, are we teaching them to be bold in that? You only have to go, I think it's Stark, Stark or Belmont, the, the church around the corner. You know, everything can lead you to the same place. No, that's not true. Um, Christ says in Matthew chapter 9, The harvest is great, but the workers are few, so pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. There's a lot of people in need of the good news um, of Christ and the promise that we have in him. The relationship and meaning that we have in a loving God that shapes all of who we are and answers all of the difficult questions in life. Pastor Monty would phrase it as, where did I come from? How did I get here? Where am I going? Um, the, the issues of um, origin meaning, morality, and uh, destiny. More and more, as I said, you see these new ideologies um, and new things being presented, and more and more, I feel like I read something or see something or hear something that makes me say, what a mad world we live in. Listen to Culture Insanity. We talk about these things a lot. Um, these things that pop up in culture that just make you, what? What is, we're going in circles here. We're spinning our wheels because no one understands truth. No one accepts truth. It's all subjective. I was listening to a, a long pod, podcast with, on Joe Rogan um, with Ben Shapiro. Anybody know who Ben Shapiro is other than a couple guys in the back? So no. Ben Shapiro's a, how would you, how would you um, label Ben Shapiro, Pastor Monty? In a nutshell, what is Ben Shapiro? A social political commentator? Yeah, social political commentator. Um, so he was on this podcast, Joe Rogan. It's a long-winded, 
um, conversation talking about lots of different things. Um, and I like Ben Shapiro. I like his debate tactics. I like a lot of what he has to say on different social, political um, issues and how he speaks into radical people on both sides of the, of the spectrum. Um, and uh, in this conversation, uh, they started talking about the basis for reason and these different things. And so naturally, the topic of God came up. And so since none of you know who Ben Shapiro is, he's an Orthodox Jew along with his you know, specialized field of training and stuff. Um, so the topic of, of God came up. And despite me liking a lot of what Ben Shapiro has, Ben Shapiro doesn't really have um, the full context of what we have as, as believers, as disciples of Christ. Um, and so even though I like him, he doesn't offer what the mad world needs. He doesn't offer the fact that the Messiah did come because that's not what he believes as an Orthodox Jew. He doesn't believe, in fact, he doesn't believe quite highly of Christ at all. Um, his, his assessment of Christ is probably one of the lower I've ever heard of from a Jew, but um, he did come. Christ did come, and he did live a blameless life, and he did live as a relative nobody who was beaten and who was crucified and who ultimately died and rose again um, so that we may be redeemed in our relationship with God. We were given the hard reset on our corrupted selves. Um, and so he himself says the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So there's a call in that. And it's as true now as it was then. The church is in need of leadership who seek after the harvest uh, and the church has a responsibility to raise people up within it. Um, again, whether primary, as Colin was talking about, or secondary, we all have the primary call of spreading the gospel, but we have a secondary call, our role that we will specifically play in that. So next week we'll talk more on like different things that a leader has to know, but I want to I lay a, a, a groundwork first. It's the starting point for this. Um, we'll talk more next week about um, like... How a, how a leader should live his life, how a leader should interact with his people, how his work looks, these different things. But um, there's a key foundation that has to be laid uh, and understood and practiced and taught and a real emphasis on it. Um, and that is knowing the word, knowing what scripture has to say, being grounded in scripture. A good leader is grounded in in scripture and treats scripture as authoritative, as the measure by which to test all things. Titus chapter one says, he must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. For there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk and deceive others. This is especially true of those who insist on circumcision for salvation. They must be silenced because they are turning whole families away from the truth by their false teaching, and they do it only for money. 2 Timothy chapter 2, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer, as in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus. They have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil.
again in 2 Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. In John chapter 17, now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them. In this, So this is Christ himself speaking. I told... I'll start over. Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world I am sending them into the world and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made right by your truth. So they can be made holy by your truth. Sorry. And for the firesmiths, who I hope remember this, Psalms 119. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord, teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in your riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Know that the list goes on here. There's no shortage of, of, um, of proof that the, the scripture is is the key to understanding what it means to be trained and equipped as a good biblical leader. Not subjected to cultural pressures or influence um, like so much of what you see today. And this isn't, uh, this isn't a new problem for us. It's not a new problem that plagues us today. Um, it's been an ever problem. Um, Tertullian, the African theologian of the second century, uh, famously challenged it with the question, what has Athens to do with Jerusalem? Ultimately, he was on the losing side, and it's generally agreed that then, just as now, that the church gave way too much to these new age philosophies and ideas um, and gave far too great of an influence on the church and its people um, and what it is that they followed and believed, what truth is and how it was handled. Uh, and for the record, this isn't the easier position to hold. Being a, being a leader grounded in scripture is not the easier position to hold. Um, religion, specifically the Christian worldview, as Colin pointed out last night in, uh, in our you know, Danger Room apologetics group that we have, is, is um, openly attacked and mocked as just a crutch that weak-minded people need to handle real-life issues. I would, of course, challenge that. I think we all would. Uh, how easy would it be to compromise any number of things that, any number of positions that we are supposed to hold as Christ's disciples out of convenience because it's easier to do so, because it's not as hard or it doesn't put as much strain or pain on our families, because it allows us to do what we want when we want without constraint. Leadership that is trained and grounded in scripture cannot and will not allow for that. And you guys should know that. You should know that as followers. You should know that as future leaders. It's because of a proper bi biblical leadership um, 
first and foremost, rooted deeply to what's already been given us in Christ and his word, um, that we fulfill that call the right way. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 2 offers a sentiment to, like I said, both the, the leader and the follower. He says, therefore, we must pay close attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. Leaders, pay close attention to what you teach, lest you lose people. Followers, pay close attention to what you hear, lest you drift away. I wanted to start the month out with that base level understanding because the next sort of um, point I want to make uh, is in regarding, regarding the training and equipping is um, in, in reference to this idea that um, has sort of plagued the church at least for the past couple hundred years that a leader has to be someone who goes through a specific schooling or has a specific degree. There is no such biblical basis for this for this professional leader within the church. The whole idea of seminary school, FYI, came out of um, the Reformation, the Catholic counter-Reformation, um, after the Council of Trent. If you want to learn more about that, come to the Danger Room. We're talking about Chad. You can learn about church history uh, and how this all came to be. But seminary, especially in America, has taken on a more general term nowadays. But back then, it was you know the Catholic Church's attempts to keep the power that they so love. Um, but it's taken on a more general meaning now, especially here in America as just being an institution for specialized training. Um, but the idea uh, and the notion that it's a need in order to be in a specific position of leadership is not, it's not accurate. There is no biblical basis for that um, when you're considering the training and equipping of biblical leaders. And I want to make it clear that I'm not saying that that kind of schooling is bad. It's not bad. In fact, sometimes I wish I like did that sort of academic thing um, because there's a lot that it does offer. But the point is it's not necessary. It's not needed in order to fulfill the calling of being um, a biblical leader, in order to be trained and equipped to be a good leader in the church. The predominant model that we see in the New Testament as the early church is forming is that God's word is taught, the message of Christ is spread to all, and that people, both young and old, are brought up in knowing that, and being taught these things, um, in preaching what was taught to them. Read the book of Acts. Read the epistles, where Paul appoints specific individuals to fill certain leadership roles. Titus and Timothy, who traveled with him and lived closely by him, who learned from him, who, tr who he trusted to carry on in the ministry with him as partner, partners and servants of Christ. It was never a credentials thing in order to be a better professional. The Apostle Paul himself, a man of great credentials, um, a great accomplishments and statuses and of high learning, high status, offers us perspective on this when he even was willing to cast that away. And in Philippians 3, he says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. 
Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. The church has gone sideways over time in professionalizing this call to leadership and understanding what it means to train and equip the next generation of leaders, capitalizing on whatever, the power, the money, or the influence. I can tell you that there's no money in here, so you don't have to worry about that. At least one of those you don't have to worry about. Um, adopting a secular mentality toward the leading of God's people and preaching and teaching his word. We have to get away from this and have to get away from this understanding and um, understanding who our leaders are and how we're training and equipping them. Again, secular leadership, easy to understand. Just take a look at basically any corporation, you know, with a CEO at the head. People in power have a title, lots of authority. That power allows them to rule over people, to demand things. The goal of getting in power is not having to serve people, but to be served. Um, pretty much the opposite of what you see um, in terms of qualifications to be a leader within the church. And we'll talk, as I said, more about that next week. And it sounds kind of nice. And I'd be lying if I said it didn't sound kind of nice. You know, you get, to, you get to, you put in this work and you get to this status, this level, and then you get to just be back off and you get to reap all the benefits. But that is not the way of a leader within the church. It's contrary to how we should be equipping and training people in their mindsets for ministry. John Piper has a book called Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. Uh, he says this in it. Banish professionalism from our midst, O God, and in its place put passionate prayer, poverty of spirit, hunger for God, rigorous study of holy things, white-hot devotion to Christ, utter indifference to all material gain, an unremitting labor to rescue the perishing, perfect the saints, and glorify our sovereign Lord. <clears throat> to, to further sorry, my previous point in understanding how it is that um, we should be thinking about the training and equipping of the next generation and fostering that within the church. We see Paul seeking in Galatians 2 um, a validation from the people he came after. It says, 14 years later, Galatians 2, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. And while I was there, I met privately with those considered to be the leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all of my efforts had been wasted. Excuse me. And, was, and I was running the race for nothing. They supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile, a little further on down in the chapter. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. But instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter to the Jews. Paraphrase. So the importance and urgency for well-trained biblical leaders is, is prevalent. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. 
Remember that you're all in a leadership role in some capacity. It's not specific. It is both not specific and it is specific. So you need to understand both. Though, um, yeah. We have a call to be good leaders within our spheres of influence on a, on a smaller level. And then we have a call to understand who we're following on a bigger level. That's what I mean when I say it's both not specific and it is specific, because scripture speaks to both. Um, its foundation is accomplished uh, in following uh, the scriptures and allowing them to be authoritative in our lives. Um, again, as leaders, but specifically, again, as leaders specifically, but as followers. Test all things through what has already been revealed to us. Write these things on our heart. Pay close attention that we are not led astray. His word is trustworthy and wholesome, and because of this, we can be encouraged and we can be good leaders as long as we understand the foundation for that. So I have some questions for you guys. Um, for those of you that are you know, guests today, first of all, welcome. Uh, we do something at the end of every sermon. Um, we do cell groups, and it's a time, about 20 minutes of time, where we can talk about um, the sermon, and that usually um, is sparked by questions that are asked at the end of every sermon. So, my questions for cell groups, and I encourage you guys to uh, follow your host people to their cell groups. They can, they can help you with that. Um, but the questions, what is your sense of urgency in being a better leader? What are you doing to be one? Do you treat God's word as the authority in your life? Are you easily distracted by new things and new ways of thinking? What are those things? How are you susceptible to those things? Like, what are your, what are your uh, methods in receiving those things that you find um, you're struggling with, if that makes sense? What are you doing with them? Uh, and are you looking at yourself as a potential candidate um, to both formal leadership, and are you looking at yourself as, the, as needing to be trained and equipped as leaders on a smaller level? Um, and where are you at in that thought process? How are you pursuing that? So these are the questions for you guys this week, and I encourage you to discuss. Thanks.